Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. He has found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents that. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. It'll be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a fortnightly podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined by Owen Heitman, the co-founder and co-director of Paper Cuts Comics Festival from South Australia. Owen, thanks very much for joining, for joining us and coming on the show. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. It was great to meet you here in Melbourne when you guys were down, or when you were down, in fact. And we got got into it a little bit, but I want to know more about Paper Cuts Comics Festival in in, in Adelaide in South Australia. Tell us a bit about the festival and and how it came to be. Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, Paper Cuts Comics Festival uh, was in the middle of September, and this was the first year we ran it. I run it together with my partner, Georgina Chatterton, who's also known as George Rakes Comics. And yeah, so it was a, a five-day comic festival celebrating graphic novels and comics uh, uh, from a variety of different angles. I guess you could say that the idea came to me and Gina last year. We were traveling in Europe for a holiday, and we happened to be in, well, no, we, we did kind of plan to be in Leeds when the Thought Bubble Comics Festival was on. Yep. And that was just, that was amazing for us as comic fans, let alone as creators, to be there. That was that was amazing for us because because of the sheer size of it, for one thing, but also because it was a festival completely dedicated to comics. All the things that we're used to seeing in Adelaide and elsewhere around Australia, well, in, yeah, uh, in, in Adelaide at least, uh, not comic-specific. We've got your, you know, your supernovas yep. and things like that where there's comics, but it's pop culture or it's you know we had uh, a comics feature at Adelaide Writers Week but it's comics and other books or we've got zine fairs where it's comics and zines and so we were we were really inspired by seeing this festival which was just comics Mm -hmm. and I mean they had like probably 500 stall holders holy shit Uh, it was huge you know they had like three or four big marquees and then the town hall of Leeds all just filled with like indie creators, mainstream creators, but it was just comics. There were no movie star autographs. Wow. There were no like, uh, no people selling toys. It was, and those things are fine, but you know, they're just, 
they're not what I go to yeah. a comic convention to see. That was amazing. Like, you know, it was two days and we spent so much money. I, that was going to be my next question. How much money did you spend? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, more importantly, traveling was the weight allowance um, and we exceeded our luggage allowance significantly. Jesus. Uh, so that was a... It was totally worth it, though. And, you know, so they had, you know, there were, there were local creators from Leeds. There were people from around the UK. There were people there from America. There was even a guy there from Australia, which was nice. Oh, wow. Having been traveling around the UK for a couple of weeks or maybe a month by that point to hear a, a familiar accent. So anyway, we, we hugely enjoyed that experience and then started thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great if something like that existed in Adelaide? Not on that scale, of course, because we're not, you know, we're, we're realistic about what we could achieve. But yeah, right. we did think that the fact that it was just comics was something that we wanted to see and we wanted to see in Adelaide. And we figured probably wasn't going to happen unless we made it happen. It's it's very um, much like that these days, isn't it? I mean, if, if you want to do something no one is doing because and you, you recognize a shortfall, unfortunately, it falls to you to then do it, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, like we've 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 done other things. Like Gina's done um, Supernova for a couple of years now. We've done uh, zine fairs here, the Adelaide Comic and Toy Fair. We've travelled over to Melbourne for Home Cooked. Mm-hmm. And Home Cooked is great. Again, that's another like purely comics festival, but it's a bit of a commute. Uh, um, oh yeah. <laughs> so so we wanted we wanted something like that that we wouldn't have to go interstate for. And so we basically spent the rest of the UK holiday and Europe as well, just in in the downtime on the buses and planes and stuff, just brainstorming about what what we could do, what we could do feasibly, what we would want to do. And yeah, like I said, we basically just tailored it to what we wanted to see and then hope that that would appeal to other people as well. And yeah, while we're, while we're talking it through, it seemed like, uh, a really great idea to make a, a multi-day festival, which I think was a good idea, but also once uh, once we worked out how much work we'd let ourselves in for, that was that was something we maybe regretted a little bit. But all the different events went really well, so so that was great. Obviously, with hindsight now, you can see what worked and what didn't work. I, have you guys already started planning the next one for next year? Well. We're more um, negotiating whether or not we're going to do it again. Oh, wow. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we would love to do it again. There, lots of people have been asking, you know, what, what's the deal with the next one? Yeah. But it was also a lot of work uh, for a free festival. We were very fortunate to get some uh, grant funding from the Adelaide City Council. Oh, that's great. But most of that went towards paying for people to create new work for the um, the reading night or mm-hmm. paying to print posters and flyers yeah, yeah, and right. distributed, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So how did, uh, how did the day go? Well, they all went really well. So there was actually, there were five, five events. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we kicked it off on a Thursday night at uh, Dimmicks, the, the Adelaide book. Well, at the Adelaide Dimmicks. Mm-hmm. And we had Mandy Ord and Dean Rankin uh, from Melbourne there and Greg Holfeld from Adelaide, uh, who are, in addition to being comic creators, they're all also children's picture book illustrators. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we specifically chose those people 
to try and leverage the the Dimex venue and get a crossover with the book buying public as well. Yep. And so Gina was uh, their sort of MC. Uh, she chaired that event and asked a bunch of really great questions. And yeah, that was that was one of my favourite events really. There was really insightful answers from the panelists and really good questions from the audience, particularly for the first time we were doing something of this scale and uh, on a Thursday night in Adelaide. Yeah, we didn't really know what to expect. Well, so I, I've, really I've, sorry to cut you off, Owen. Uh, no, I've spoken to quite, quite a few of the crew that went up there from Melbourne and um, they all had a, a marvellous experience. In fact, they were, really, they were actually very surprised at, at how well they did. Yeah, yeah. The market day was was a. I was really pleased with how successful that was, and especially hearing from people because I I'm just standing there, looking at the number of people coming in and going, well, you know, there seems to be a lot of people here. This is good, but then uh, to actually work out the sales, you know, you got to just ask people, and everyone everyone who spoke to me was was very positive and. Some somebody says that they sold more than they did at the last supernova. Um, somebody else, or one of the guys from Melbourne, said it was the best market that he'd had for sales. So, yeah, that was that was really really encouraging. So, does that mean at least you'll have maybe a market day next year? At the very least. Uh, look, we, I mean, we we do want to do the whole thing again. It's just really a matter of feasibility. Like, it was probably two months of really mean not doing anything else but planning the festival and sending emails to people and you know uh, uh luckily i work on a contract and i didn't have anything else to do at that time but that's still a big chunk of the year with not much income so yeah we'll we'll probably be looking into applying for some more grant funding uh, at an earlier stage next year and yeah seeing but on the one hand, the fact that we've done it before means that it would be easier to do a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, we know, you know, we can tweak things to make it take up less time, so it wouldn't be that kind of full-time job. But yep. at the same time, you know, you want to make it the best you can. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to, like, stop promoting it or anything like that. So, and that kind of promotion always just takes up so much more time than you expect mm-hmm. as does wrangling artists oh, wrangling artists writers people yeah. volunteers uh, staff yeah it, it's a, it can be a, it, it it sounds like a real big well for lack of a better word nightmare but but at the end of the day it the proof is in the pudding and, and considering the uh the feedback you've gotten uh i would i would i would say that if you guys didn't do it again it would be to adelaide's detriment Ah, well, I mean, I wouldn't use those words. I, I would say something like, you know, life-changing disaster. But, <laughs> but it always uh, looks, it always looks, it always looks bad from the inside. You know, when you see, when you, when you see something like that, like, you know, I'm sure that uh, when the crew are doing the the festivals here in Melbourne, they're running ragged. None of them had any sleep, and they're working things out as they go because you know shit's going wrong but as a punter walking through and just looking at all at, at all the people that are there uh buying comics all the stall holders uh you know pushing their wares and, and all the good work that they've done and all the hard work that they've put into their work 
with their comics. Uh, you don't you don't see all that, and so I think I think from from your perspective, you know, it, it's it's easy to kind of go, oh, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I, absolutely, I one hundred percent agree with you. It is, uh, it is a tremendous amount of work, but the benefit, I suppose, unfortunately for you and your personal life. The benefit is is huge for, for Adelaide as such and a lot of the creators that are out there and, and, and even even the imports from the other states. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, look, we were really, really proud of what we achieved. And, yeah, I, I've... Well, we've both been involved in other things before, like Home Cook, National Young Writers Festival, Emerging Writers Festival... And uh, definitely my, my takeaway was after organizing paper cuts was I, I always try to thank the people who organize those other events that I've been involved in, but it made me want to go back and like track down everyone who's ever organized a festival that I've been involved in for the past like 10 years. And uh, I, I said thank you at the time, but really, really, <laughs> thank you so much. Because, um, yeah, it just gave me a whole new perspective on, on that back end of it that – I, I knew it was work, but it's not until you do it yourself that you just realize the exact scope and scale of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so that's that's kind of how paper cuts came into came into fruition and and you know fingers crossed that it, it comes back alive next year from the depths that it is now sleeping in. How is your how is your comics trajectory? like what's your origin story? Yeah, well, I've been drawing comics for basically as long as I can remember. Like when I was a little kid, I, I, you know, be at some place with my folks and they'd be chatting to their friends and I'd say, oh, you know, can I have a some paper and a pen and I'll just sit down here and draw a little cartoon. Like the, the earliest cartoons that I remember are just me making fun of my brother. I just kept doing it. Like I don't think I was particularly good at it initially. But, you know, no one ever is. They, you just you, you just do stuff because you enjoy it, and then you get better at it. And, yeah, so I was doing the the primary school that I grew up in, uh, that, that area. They had a community newsletter, and I did comics for the community newsletter when I was in primary school, and then I did some more for the newsletter when I was in high school that were fractionally better. And then um, the, first, uh, the first comic I did that probably any significant number of people read was uh, in Dylan Naylor's Darn Dill comics in the show bags. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, I, I was in my, like, yeah, end of primary school, start of high school when those comics started coming out in the show bags and I was always drawn to the show bags that had comics in them and then I was, like, sending Dylan fan letters and just sending him comics that I'd done of his characters and some of them he was kind enough to publish and oh, wow. started sending me scripts for me to illustrate. Holy shit, that's uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I really realized how big a deal it was at the time because I had sort of no frame of context for anything. I was just like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what people do. Mm-hmm. You, you make comics and other people publish them. That's, that's just normal. How old were you when that was happening? Um... I reckon I would have been 14 when the first one was published. Holy shit. Yeah, but I mean, I was still drawing like I was a 10-year-old or something. I, I was not <laughs> a naturally talented artist. <laughs> well, the, but, but you still got work published, though, at 14. That's yeah. pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Yeah, so that, that was the start of a, a correspondence with Dylan that's 
still ongoing now. Instead of sending letters through the post, we just send Facebook messages to each other. But it's been a real. Uh, in fact, he's still been. We've still been collaborating on things. Yeah, uh, we did Preston Peace, which is a, a character that Jason Towers wrote and Dylan was illustrating. But then he didn't have time to illustrate it anymore. So Jason was sending the scripts to me, and Dylan was thumbnailing them for for me to illustrate. And then like working from your thumbnails was just such a pleasure because that's one of the things that I hate about comics. Like, not like, that's one of the parts of the process of making comics that I don't enjoy as much. Thumbnailing, yeah. it's just, uh, just let me ink stuff. That's all I want to do. Interesting. Interesting. You see, from my perspective, uh, and I've said this on the show before, my favorite part is is the nuts and bolts, is the working out of the thumbnailing, where, what's going where, how does this, how do I make this move into this but make it in the nine panels that I've got left you know for me that's my favorite part you know you can have the inking (laughs) but (laughs) but uh yeah right and uh, interesting that that that's your favorite part I mean like I enjoy the thumbnailing uh, like the end of it like when you've got that problem and solving those problems is fun if you like but the like I mean, having solved those problems is fun. It's a it's a sense of achievement. Like yeah. just sitting there, doing like however many different versions of the same panel, trying to get the um, get everything you need into that frame. It's uh, it's not for me. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, it seems like you've done it enough to know that you hate it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how does how does all of that kind of then work into your own your own work like the work that you've done independently of Dylan? Uh, there's been a lot of it, sort of surprisingly when I look back on it. Yeah, just just taking opportunities as they came, or kind of creating opportunities more. So I guess like there was a when I was at uni, there's the university magazine didn't have any comics, so I sent them in some and got them printed and then then after I graduated uni I started just writing this uh, 48 page comic that I didn't I had no sort of uh, plan for how to release it when I started creating it mm-hmm. after I was about halfway through I don't even know how it came about but I found out about Carclu the South Australian Youth Arts Board and applied to them for some grant funding to get it printed uh, and I was successful in that and got it printed and then put that into the local comic shops and then some of the other local cartoonists saw it in there and got in touch with me and I think that was that was probably when I started you know getting to know the South Australian comic book community because up until then I like you know I had some friends who also liked to do comics but none of them really liked it to the same level that I did that I eventually found out after trying to collaborate with them and like eventually realizing that I was just forcing them to do something they didn't really want to yeah. <laughs> and yeah then um yeah became part of that community and which which yeah I'm still part of today and which has been really exciting sort of meeting the other people locally who are creating stuff that I really really enjoy um, reading or enjoy looking at, depending on whether they're writers or artists or both. And then, yeah, working together with some of those people and publishing some of their work. So I get this right. So not only do you create comics and you've just 
done a festival, you also publish other people's work. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a uh, quote-unquote publishing empire uh, called Amplified Press, mm -hmm. which started under a different name as just something to publish my own work because I, I like the idea of having a little brand name on there. Yeah. And then a couple of years ago, I was kind of looking around at a bunch of people I've gotten to know over the years and in, in Adelaide specifically um, who are all... Uh, self-publishing what what I thought were really, really good mini-comics. And it occurred to me that, you know, if somebody picks up one of those mini-comics, there's not really an avenue for them to discover anything else. Like, you know, they might be able to find more work by, like, say, if it's Jake Holmes's comics or Robin Talal Lord's comics or uh, Georgina Chatterton's comics, that they pick them up and they might be able to find more by that person, but there's no sort of avenue for them to find other people's. And I thought... Mm -hmm well, maybe we could, like, all publish under the, uh, like, a joint banner, like a community group or something. I went, not a community group so much as a friend of mine described it as, like, a, you know, like a little label that puts out seven inches by all their friends. Yeah. And the, by the same principle, but instead of music, it would be comics. And so that, that's where the, the idea started. And it's sort of, it's still sort of the same principle, but... It, it's, uh, but I, I've taken the I've taken the lead role in sort of, you know, acting as publisher rather than trying to do it as a cooperative group. Yeah, sometimes you just um, need to rule with an iron fist, don't you? <laughs> uh, it's, it's all, yeah, you know, democracy is yeah. all good and well, but sometimes you just need just need a, you know someone to wield the hammer. Benevolent chances. <laughs> <laughs> And, and to be honest, until you brought up, I completely forgot that we had already had this conversation about about uh, about your your publishing. Um, uh, and what what kind of stuff specifically? You know, is it is it kind of open at this stage to anybody, or are you still is it still kind of uh, curated by you and and strictly friends and Adelaideans? Uh, yeah. Look, I mean, I would really love it to be the kind of success where I could have it opened applications but really i haven't published anybody who i don't personally know yeah. and it's sort of uh not really financially viable at at this stage but 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 it is it is going okay it's not losing money <laughs> which is uh a miracle in itself and yeah so it's yeah there's no there's no real like genre limitations or anything like that but it's probably going to, for the foreseeable future, continue to be people-based in Adelaide and people who I know and trust and enjoy their work already. Yeah, right. um, was it hard to kind of set, set all that up or was it was relatively easy? No, that's, a, that's one of the other parts of comics that I really enjoy is um, getting, setting, uh, getting files ready for print and setting up a PDF, you know, proofreading stuff. Uh, like my day job is a proofreader slash copy editor and there's nothing that bugs me more than seeing a, a local mini comic that's got typos all through it. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you could have just asked me to read it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a copy editor or, or a proofreader and I hate seeing uh, seeing uh, you know, the wrong words being used in comics or, or even uh, even to the point where, and in particular... When let's say, for instance, I'm reading a commercially printed under a commercial banner, 
Like these guys have got money coming out of the wazoo and they print a comic book and there are words missing. The letterer has not lettered the word that needs to be in between two other words. Uh, yeah. It is absolutely... Uh, I, I get, I get. you know, someone trying to do their zine and, you know, they've got, they've got some comic art in there and they fucked up. You know, that's like, yeah, you know what? I get it. You know, you don't have an editor, blah, blah, blah. But it's, you know, when someone's paid a lot of money to take care of that stuff and they fuck up I kind of that's when I get really angry because I've just paid good money for it yeah yeah there was a uh, no I'm not going to ne- drop any names but there was a book through Boombox that um, you know I think that they're a pretty substantial US publisher and it's a book that I was really looking forward to uh, and then just on the first page there were like two typos really ruined the whole experience for me <laughs> It's 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 interesting that, that that things like that can really turn someone turn someone off. I mean, obviously, in in our two cases, um, it is it's very viable. But I wonder how many people, how many it does really affect. I mean, I know depending on who you speak to, uh, some people you know really dig the art. Some people really dig that you know the writing. And I've kind of over the years have have gone from one to the other. And now, like you say, you know, I am reading. And a, a, a spelling mistake or the absence of a word can really take you out of the story. Yeah. Uh, do you do you get your work edited, or do you edit your own work? Considering that you are professionally a, a copy copywriter proofreader. Yeah, mm, that is a good question because I do just edit it myself. But proofreading your own work is like notoriously one of the most difficult things to do because your brain knows what's meant to be there, so it ends up seeing that. Yeah. And yes, it, it, I have been caught out, uh, and it's incredibly embarrassing when it does happen. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> no, I, I mentioned earlier my friend Jake Holmes, who's also a screen printer of some repute. His work has been acquired by the National Gallery and stuff. Oh, wow. But he's also he also dabbles in comics and has done for like ten years. And I quite frequently rag on him about his terrible spelling and he was reading through one of my comics and found a typo and he loved it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I did not love it. <laughs> no, and nobody, nobody wants, wants typos pointed out after the fact. I mean, yeah, it's a bit annoying. Well, luckily, I had not printed a great many of that one, so uh, all good. Did you get an opportunity to kind of fix it and then reprint it or...? I just don't think I'll ever reprint that one. But it was literally like a, a the, I think it was called Last Minute Comic Zine. It was just a, a thing I'd knock together to fill up some space because uh, something I'd been planning to release at Home Cooked hadn't come back from the printer in time. Yeah, right. So I think there were 10 copies of it. So probably not going to come around and uh, probably more people listening to it now will know about it than um, have ever read it. Well, I'm going to, what was it called? I'm going to see if I can track it down. <laughs> <laughs> Last minute comic zine. Consider it done. It's going to be on my on my to buy list here and see if I can track a copy of it down. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that's listening to this, uh, if you've got a copy of it, please send it uh, to me because I I want to read it. Uh, Amplified Press. Do you you know? Do you think it's important that uh, that we do have some of these small small press kind of places around? I mean, there's there's certainly in the last ten years I've noticed a huge a huge amount of people now publishing comics and i'm finding that more and more people who, who create comics like particularly local comics have no connection to the commercial world as such or you know 
or you know rally against it but or and, and in some cases don't even know that it exists like the you mean the like a mainstream yeah, yeah. i mean i i've i've never been a marvel dc reader of any note uh you know could probably count nearly all the comics from those companies i've read on on both hands like I, i'm i'm very excited by the sort of proliferation of, of small presses and even more so by um, the mainstream book companies who've got their uh, their comics in print now. Like um, uh, First Second Books is one of my big... Uh, like if I see their logo on a book, I'm like, well, it's probably going to be something I'll enjoy. Yeah, right. And, you know, they're, they're a subsidiary of Macmillan and then... Uh, Are they really? The, I did not know that. Yeah, Although I think, yeah, I think Macmillan's got several comic subsidiaries, uh, which I don't understand, like, how that works, like why different branches of the company are competing against each other, but I'm sure there's a reason for it. Right, it'd be more kind of just, you know, it's all a marketing thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I don't know. You're quite probably right. Well, insofar but, as, uh, you know, you have, let's say they have first, second, and then they have... Joe's Comics, and then they have your Battle Axe Productions, and then all all three of them aren't necessarily competing because they can kind of angle where one, you know, like they can do genre specific, or one uh, can do you yeah, know, particular yeah. type of comics, particular types of books get get associated with with those brands, but they're making money from all all avenues. Yeah, now that you mention it, it's like um, IDW owns Top Shelf. Yeah. But no one's going to probably expect the same types of books from those two companies. Yeah, which, which, and funnily enough, you bring that up because I only found that out recently. That really blew me away. And I went, huh, because I've been buying top shelf stuff for years and I had no idea that uh, it was a subsidiary of uh, IDW. It, um, it hasn't been for its entire lifespan. Oh, so it was uh, a I'm recent sure acquisition. Yeah, yeah, well, recent, uh, you know, I think anything in the past 15 years is recent. You're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, we are all over social media. Well, not all over it, but we've got a few. We've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please jump on Facebook and like us if you're enjoying the show, as well as following us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. This has been a Graphic Nature public service announcement. As, as a publisher, do you then, you just talk to the crew and you say, hey, give me your stuff and I'll take care of it. And from that point on, you're putting the process together, you're speaking to printers and all that kind of jazz. Is that kind of how it works? It's very much a, it's very much a bespoke process. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever works best. Like I've published a couple of books by an Adelaide guy called Adam Gillespie, yep. who's a lovely guy and his work is very good so Gina and I have been running a comics a monthly comics sketch group for about six years now yeah. called comics with friends and strangers and that's how I got to know Adam he started coming to these groups and I was always impressed by the stuff he was doing there and he was doing a web comic and that was a uh, uh, when I was in the early days of conceiving Amplified Press and wanting to publish other people's stuff and I said, you know, hey, do you, are you interested in publishing this? And he was like, yeah, but, you know, I haven't got a clue where to start. And I said, well, I do. So, you know, so I just got him to send me the scans and then I proofread them and I 
think that I think he, he I think he's also on the ball. I don't think I had to make any changes there. Set them all up in InDesign. Contacted a printer. Got a quote. That you know basically did all that publisher stuff. Whereas um, Robin Tatlow Lord, her comic for the Mini Comic of the Month Club last year, Small Mortal Mammals. She asked me whether I wanted to do that through Amplified Press. And I did because I love her work. And that comic ended up getting shortlisted for a Ledger Award. Well, there you go. I think it's a marvellous thing that we have the Ledgers. Not for anything other than uh, something to recognise, you know, the local community's work. You know, you, you don't have to be, in my eyes, you don't have to be a, a, a platinum, you know, bronze or, you know, you don't have to be a winner. But I think getting shortlisted for something like that you know you know i just think it's a good thing and and it's great that uh, that we have th- there is an opportunity for creators locally to be recognized amongst the wider community of comics creators and and readers yeah yeah I, i'm a big fan of um the ledger awards and you know i submit my work every year i am yet to be shortlisted myself that was going to be my next question I, <laughs> no I, Gina has been shortlisted, uh, which was very exciting, and she went to the award ceremony that year oh, nice. as well. So I just heard all about it secondhand. Uh, but the, the the point of that uh, story with Robin was that she's so used to printing her own stuff that she she just well, went out and dealt with the printer herself. So so it was a completely different kind of operation to the way I'd done it for Adam. And and while while we're on you know while we're loosely on the. Uh subject of Georgina how much of let's say the way she does uh, her work does it how much does that influence how you do yours do you bounce ideas of each other how does it how does how does like to create two comics creators in the in the one relationship how does that work yeah I think it's uh, it's very good uh, for us and for me to be in a relationship with someone else working in the same creative field you know I, I, I don't know that it works for everyone for anyone in a relationship who's uh, working in the same creative field as their partner, that that could be difficult, particularly if one partner is more successful than the other. In all honesty, Gina is vastly more successful than me. I, I, I am occasionally a little jealous, but for the most part, I'm just incredibly proud. I think that she deserves all the accolades and recognition that she gets. And I like her comics a lot more than mine, so I, you know, <laughs> I don't don't expect anyone else to be any different. Yeah, fair enough. Um, well, I mean, you wouldn't really be human if you weren't uh, if you were a little bit jealous. Yeah, but also, you know, I think that's something that like we, we've been together for seven years now, so it, it's a different ball game than it was when we started going out. And she's also a very different creator than she was when we started going out. Yeah. Oh, like you asked about the ways that we uh, ways that where you cross-pollinate or whatever. Yeah. When, when I met Gina, she didn't pencil anything. She just drew straight in ink. Holy shit. I was always like, how do you do that? But also, why do you do that? Like, have you tried penciling? Maybe use a blue pencil. Um, and she was very resistant to that. But then once she started, she, she loves it now. She's done comics about blue pencils and how great they are. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, that's that's one way in which her work is like progressed by leaps and bounds and i think that's probably only the only way that i can claim any credit for the rest is just her perseverance and her um practice on her own bat 
and yeah, we we discuss ideas all the time, and you know, she'll come up with an idea, and I'll be like, oh, that's good, but what about this? And she'll say, that's a terrible suggestion. I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. And then I think about it a bit more, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, you were right. That was a terrible suggestion. <laughs> but I mean, yes. Also, sometimes she will take my suggestions on board, and in that case, that's a that's a high piece of praise. But yeah, uh, basically. When when it comes down to it, I'm I'm a plot person, and she's a character and a world building person, and so we approach our writing in very different ways, and to have those different perspectives, I think, can be very useful for each of us. Well, then that begs the question: Have you guys published something together? Have you written something together? Oh no, no, we did when we did. In 2015, we did the Mini Comic of the Month Club Mm -hmm. together and we did a flip book, as in like one half was a story by Gina and then you turn it over and the other half was a story by me. I think that's as close as we've come to like actually collaborating on something that's been published. Wow, even even with such complementary writing skills. Well, yeah, we, we keep talking about, you know, maybe Gina will come up with a world and then I'll create the plot for the characters and then we'll write it together and she can draw or I can draw it. But we, we, that hasn't happened yet. It might happen soon with something that Gina's been working on. But the, the fact of the matter is really that we're both kind of consumed in our big projects at the moment. And, you know, we still, uh, for want of a better word, workshop those together. But that's just like talking at the end of a working day about what went wrong at work and then chatting about it rather than like actually collaborating it's more like just talking through the process and sometimes that's going to help you lead to a breakthrough and sometimes it's just a way of venting i suppose what with uh all your you know your work and your comics and amplified press um maybe maybe you won't have time for a little while to uh to do anything collaboratively i suppose that happy medium of being able to create comics versus having to put food on your table at the end of the day is always going to be the struggle for most people, for most most you know creators these days. Yeah, uh, I mean it's a it's a sad reality. I, I took a crack at being a full time cartoonist uh, a bit over ten years ago. Saved up a bunch of money, quit my job. Was like, all right, I'm giving myself two years to make some kind of living out of this and then um, uh, realized that that's not what I was very good at. I I vastly prefer doing comics as a kind of hobby because creating comics is a full-time job and then selling them is also a full-time job and who has time for two full-time jobs? (laughs) Absolutely. Owen, in in light of all that, do you think it's it's still viable for people to, to... Give it a good crack, particularly in the local scene, uh, to, to be able to kind of fashion out a, a life for them where they can make money from their comics I mean, and not just a, you know, I'm going to go to a festival two times a year to sell some, you know. Surely there, there are, there, there's something there that, that people can capitalize on and, and make a bit of money out of it. Uh, comes down to the individual, I guess. Some types of comics are more commercial than others. I mean, I, uh, at least off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone who is self-publishing and making a living out of that. Like, I tend to think that the population in Australia is too small to support it. Uh, 
just because most self-publishers, you know, the reason they're self-publishing is because, or it can be because their work is fairly niche. Yeah. You know, that there are definitely people who are self-publishing and supporting themselves through their art, like by doing commercial art jobs or yeah, right. graphic recording, that kind of thing. I, like, I don't know anyone supporting themselves just by doing comics uh, solely. But yeah, like there are a lot, a lot of professional artists. Like, uh, I mean, Greg Holfeld in Adelaide is one who he he does comic books, he does animation, he does commercial illustration. So you know, he's he's a full time artist and creative person. But you know, most of his money comes in from the stuff that he's doing for other people on their intellectual property. What about the perspective of uh, you know having digital comics or? Or even going by way of, of places like Comixology or or Comics on Demand and, and you know websites like that where you know you'd be able to explore on a global level to, to make a bit of cash or do you think that's also kind of a, a little trickier to kind of to get money out of? Ah uh, well, look, I mean, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't discourage anyone from trying it. Uh, like I I know what works for me, what I'm capable of. The kind of I'm a very slow artist. You know, trying to trying to make a living out of drawing comics doesn't really appeal to me anymore. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather do it on the side or even, you know, like, yeah. If there was a way that I could make a lot of money out of it, I would do it. But, like, I don't, like for my arts practice, I don't think it's particularly viable. And I, I'm really the worst person to ask about digital comics because I just hate reading on screen. So, <laughs> like... <laughs> I retract my question. If I find a webcomic I enjoy, like I read about two pages and I'm like, okay, where can I buy this in print? And if I can't buy it in print, then I'm like, oh, come on. Maybe I'll keep reading it. I, I must admit, I must admit, jokes aside, I'm fairly similar. I find it really hard. I know a lot of people who, who love it, who love reading digitally, but I think for me, I'm much the same. Uh, I have contemplated printing out digital comics so I can read them. Um, but I think that's just not only costly, but it's also pointless, uh, uh, environmentally anyway. Um, uh, yeah, the tree is not, thank you. Yeah, yeah, but uh, oh no, it's purely for selfish reasons. But it's, it, I, I just, I think, I think I'm part of this generation that still needs tactile, tactile comic books. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm still very heavily entrenched in the. You know, you're buying your commercial co- comics, reading them as carefully as you can, putting them in the bag, sealing it up, sticking it in a box. You know, I'm one of those guys. I'm I'm not too far gone, but at the same time, you know, I you know I treat my books the same way. You know, all the books on the shelf. You know, there are no corners bent. You know, you get a bookmark. Bookmark goes in them. It's the same. You know, I I treat my my material possessions in that fashion. So. When it comes to comics, uh, unfortunately, if someone f- slings me something digitally, I'll check it out. Uh, and let's say for review purposes, I'll read it. But it's really kind of, it's really tough. Well, I find anyway. Uh, it's, it's almost it's almost counterintuitive for me. Yeah, well, my day job involves staring at a screen all day. I don't want to do it when I'm not working. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still go on the internet and stuff and Wikipedia, etc., but you know, uh, no, it's not my ideal thing. Let's say you've you've printed out your latest book, put it under the Ephraim Press stamp. How do you go about getting it 
out there. Okay, so the, the, the actual book that I'm working on at the moment is like a, uh, it's a 300, uh, close to 300 page graphic novel and I really, really, really want someone else to publish that when it's done. <laughs> okay. um, I want it, I would love it to be picked up by a major publisher. I want it to reach a lot of people. I want it to sell to people who I don't personally know. Like, How far into would, it are you? Uh, second draft. Okay. But, yeah. yeah. Um, but when it comes to my mini comics, you know, I don't have any particular high aspirations for those. I don't see that anyone's going to want to go, oh, here's a 28-page self-contained A5 story. That, that's definitely going to set the sales charts alight. Let's print that. Um, I, I figure that's, that's on me um, <laughs> to do that. So that's the kind of stuff that I tend to do through Amplified Press. And once it's printed, I've got a web store which has made some sales. Um, and I put it into local comic book shops and I take it to every event that I think I can, you know, sell stuff at. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there, it's a, quite a while between those kind of events and then sometimes you get a rush of them all at once and that's about it really like it's uh i, I said before that like prepping files for print is something i really enjoy yep. distribution is not something i really enjoy <laughs> like, I, i'm better at it now than i used to be but it's still definitely one of my weaker parts of the whole uh, chain of of selling comics and, and just to bring you back to what we were talking right before this question, what about uh, releasing or publishing digitally? So for the most recent two comics that I published through Amplified Press, I, I ran a Kickstarter campaign for those. Mm -hmm. That was before Kickstarter got its bad press for union busting, so didn't feel guilty at the time. Yeah. And so one of those was uh, a book by me called The Inheritance and one was by Adam Gillespie, and it was the unauthorized biography of Begurk Begurtson, which is way too long a title to say more than once. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you to say it again, but that's all right. <laughs> and so as a Kickstarter, some of the reward levels involved having a digital PDF copy, um, which was my first uh, foray into sort of distributing digitally other than some web comics that I've done, but that wasn't you know, they weren't paid web comics, whereas with Kickstarter, people are paying you yeah. for the product. And yeah, uh, to sort of tie it back to your earlier question, there were some clear advantages in that, that there were, it was more likely that people internationally were going to buy the PDF from someone that they'd never heard of. They just bring a couple of dollars on it because they don't have to pay the exorbitant postage. And it's fine for me because I don't have to pay postage. I don't have to pay to get it printed. Mm -hmm. I can see that appeal, um, particularly if you're trying to reach a global audience. Uh, digital is a, a definitely a way to do that, and uh, those online platforms like Kickstarter or, or you know, Facebook, I guess, they can help you reach that global audience. But uh, learning how to leverage that platform and that actually doing it successfully, you know, the, the social media gurus who are like this, uh, to maintain your brand awareness, you've got to post like at least a, once a day or something like that. And I'm like, oh, I don't have time for that. Like. It is a little arduous, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, keeping up this brand awareness uh, online and being across social media plus doing all your administrative tasks as well as 
as drawing as well as writing and editing and speaking to the printers it's uh, it, it, it just an, it adds another another load to your already filled desk yeah yeah and um, to, to sort of bring it way back to the start of the conversation about paper cuts that's probably like like I said we are keen to do it again next year but we kind of have to still sort out if we're going to do that and it's not even just the money but Gina and I are both big supporters of the local comics community and we want more people reading comics and more people reading local comics but that the the amount of time and effort that gets put into helping achieve that through paper cuts is time and effort we can't be spending on our own comics yeah. um, and so yeah it, it's just a weighing that up because the big books that we're both working on we've both been working on for several years now and we're trying to work out would it be better to spend that focused energy on getting these books finished and done so we can move on to the next project or should we do the festival again which was great and fun and everyone enjoyed and we enjoyed a lot but not getting our books made what about outsourcing home cooked as well as indie comic con have both kind of outsourced a lot of the responsibilities for for certain parts of the festivals that are run here have you have you guys kind of broached that subject to to allow you to do the work on on you know your own projects as well as having you know paper cuts alive and well uh, for the, uh, the Adelaide comics community mm, we've sort of touched on it we're, and we've had some people very kindly offer to help but yeah I, I think we're, we're we're both fairly hands-on and have been burnt by passing on projects previously and yeah. sort of not having them done the way we would like. And that's always the drawback, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Not that I'm saying we have those kind of doubts about the people who've offered to help, but it's just like, I mean, it's where it's where the control freak in me at least sort of doesn't want to let go. And that's fair enough. Um, well, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Owen. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you, man. And uh, and say good day to Georgina for me. Will do. <laughs> Bye, Owen. Thanks, yeah. man. Bye. That's the end of this episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use. It'll be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. You can catch me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information about the show, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing into your handy web browser or search engine, graphicnature.media. Credits! Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production. Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast.